0: and welcome to another episode of a shot glass of recovery with your host Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast two sober chicks. So welcome to March 26th, 2020 during our quarantine from COVID-19. Today I happen to be recording with a beautiful set of false eyelashes on. Because why not? And also because Now that I'm isolated and really not going anywhere, what else am I going to (laughs) do? I've always wanted to perfect them, and I think now I have. Anyways, onwards and upwards. Two days ago, I spoke with you about uh, the mystery of suffering, and I was prompted to do that by a book that I'm reading called The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, A Spirituality for Real Life by James Martin. And so when I was reading it today, imagine my surprise when I read this on page 334. He's talking about the ability, which is what we're going to talk about today, to make decisions um, and when and how that should be done, which I think is really important right now because fear seems to be driving a lot of our decisions. And this is one way that we can help not to do that anymore. So, he said, the devil never has greater success with us than when he works secretly and in the dark, said Ignatius. Or, as members of Alcoholics Anonymous say, you're only as sick as your secrets. As an aside, the spiritual director of Bill Wilson, one of the founders of AA, was Father Edward Dowling. A Jesuit, which may explain why some of Ignatius's insights may sound familiar to recovering addicts. How cool is that? I love and am shocked to see how prevalent and how much the spiritual principles of the 12 steps and the faith that I have come to in Christianity how they overlap. And really, if you look at the 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 um mystics are ancient mystics, whether it's Christian or not, whether you're looking at Greek philosophers like Aristotle or Plato, or you look at the Buddha, a lot of these spiritual principles weave in and out of all different kinds of spirituality. And our program is a program of spirituality, so it's in good company. So what James Martin is talking about now is one of the methods of Ignatian discernment or figuring out how to make a proper decision or what God is saying to you. And one of the things he's discussing is the second method. And to spare you all of the information that comes before it, the Ignatians love like the two method of this and the three steps to that. And so we're talking about the second method and the discernment of decisions. And he says the second method relies less on reason and more on imagination. So, coming to a good decision is important. First, he suggests, you imagine a person whom you have never seen or known, and imagine what advice you would give to this person regarding the same decision you are facing. This can help free you from excessive focus on yourself. Second, I actually love this one. Imagine yourself at the point of death. That sounds morbid, I know, but it is also clarifying. Think of yourself on your deathbed far in the future and imagine asking yourself, what should I have done? It's easy to see why this is so effective. Often we choose something that is more expedient now, the easier course, which we know might be a decision that we will regret the old saying that no one on his deathbed ever said, I wish I had spent more time at the office, captures some of this insight. Third, I actually employ this one a lot. We can imagine ourselves at the last judgment. What choice would we want to present before God? I happen to believe that there, when we die and we go to heaven... We have to stand before God and account for our lives. It's not a matter of going to heaven or going to hell. It's a matter of going through the things we did and said while we were here on this earth and having to account for it. And some of the hardest and most painful decisions in my life only came to clarity for me on which way I should go. Once I thought, I don't want to get to heaven and have to say to God, for example, When God asks me, why did you prevent one of my children from coming to me? Um, I have had to examine all kinds of opinions and decisions about my faith in training to be a minister. And one of the ones was being faced with the question of, can anybody take communion? In the Catholic Church, you have to have had your sacraments leading up to communion, including baptism and First Communion, and then Confirmation. And I I struggled with it because I didn't know what the right thing to do was. But then when I thought of Jesus at the Last Supper breaking bread and saying, take of this and eat it. This is my body, which I sacrifice for you. He's asking everyone to partake in the Lord's Supper. He's asking everyone to have dinner with him, to break bread with him. And for me, I would never choose not to give someone communion based on that. So this is how I decided Ultimately, that I would never prevent someone from taking um, the bread or the wine. However, if there is someone listening who is of the Catholic faith and they disagree with me, that's okay. This is just how God spoke to my heart about my particular ministry and how I will minister once I start performing service. Also, in Rules for Discernment, he talks about the what-ifs and the if-onlys. He says in Ignatian spirituality, there's like, quote unquote, to put it simplistically, good spirits and bad spirits that lead you to make decisions. And you can say evil, sinful, bad spirits, however you want to categorize it. Maybe a negative spirit. And he speaks about the negative part of spirituality will often torment you with the what-ifs and the if-onlys. So, oh no, what if I get sick working with all of these people? Or what if somebody attacks me? Or what if someone thinks I'm too unqualified to do this? Which ultimately leads to a dead end because it's this negative or this enemy spirit that only the worst about the future is present. And the future is unknowable. So if it's creating a gnawing anxiety At that point, you can either recognize it for what it is or not make your decision. And the whole point of Ignatian spirituality is to make a decision in consolation, where you feel close to God or peace or love, instead of desolation, which is hopelessness and being far from God. So what ifs concentrate on the future, whereas if onlys worries about the past. If we're going to make a decision about the what ifs or the if onlys, it's not a place to make a decision the past cannot be changed and the future is unknowable he also talks about if you are being moved towards fear in a de- to make a decision it's most likely not coming from God and that God pulls he has gentle invitations that beckon us through love and that's very different than the push of I should do this I should do that what about this if only that and so When you're not in a place of peace, it's the worst time to make a decision. I know right now so many of us are besieged with fear and anxiety and dread and panic. And listen, that's okay. I speak a lot about being in peace. It just happens to be where I am in all of this. But to not acknowledge those feelings is not healthy either. It's okay to be panicked and fear and in anxiety and dread, but you can't live there. If you experience it and you feel it and you let it go, or you're able to manage with a a low-lying simmer of fear or panic or dread, although panic or dread uh, doesn't usually feel like a low simmering, that's okay. But staying in it is not a good thing. It's like, I have a family member where no matter how you try and help her deal with her fear and anxiety, it's like she wants to be in panic. She wants, um, I call her a um, crisis junkie. She'll just jump from one crisis to the next. And when you offer some kind of advice or support, like maybe you shouldn't be watching the news so much, or you just stop responding to texts of like, oh no, oh no, she's the oh noer. Oh no, oh no. She wants to live there. I don't think she has any. Desire to actually pull out of it. And that's what victimhood is, right? Someone that is just drama, drama all the time, in it, in it, and refuses for their focus to be broken from whatever the drama or the crisis of the day is. So, in closing, during a time of desolation, one should never make a change, says Ignatius. Why not? Because when you are feeling distant from God and experiencing desolation, you are more inclined to be guided by, he says, the evil spirit. In our program, we can say ego, um, which we know drives the bus right off the cliff. So basically, don't make decisions when you're freaking out because you're more likely to be guided by unhealthy motives. Resist that urge. So I hope you've enjoyed this little I was going to say podcast of recovery, this little shot glass of recovery. You can find both Lisa and I on our podcast, Two Sober Chicks, on Instagram at Two Sober Chicks. On Twitter at Two Super Ticks, And if you like us and you feel inclined to do so, if you go and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts, it might ensure that someone who is looking for something and stumbles upon our podcast might be able to get a little nugget of truth or a little bit of hope because that's why we do it for no other reason than we love you guys. We're grateful for our sobriety and we just want to pay it forward. So stay tuned. I will be back tomorrow, March 27th, and maybe we'll read a little excerpt from The Language of Letting Go, or maybe I'll have something new to talk about. Who knows? I'll talk to you then.